Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Welcome to Let's Talk About Brands. I, of course, am your host, Christine Gritman, and I'm coming at you every single week with another smart guest expert talking about different elements of branding, especially personal branding. Thank you so much for joining us today, whether you are joining us on the Adweek Podcast Network or whether you're watching this video show on YouTube. Every week we've got the podcast dropping Monday, we've got my chat about brand Twitter chat on Tuesdays. And then of course, we have the video podcast on YouTube on Fridays. So make sure that you're subscribed for all of that so that you don't miss a week. This week, I'm very excited. We have a fantastic guest who is an expert on many, many things, content marketing, branding, all those things. But today we're talking about websites. He is definitely an expert on how to make sure to have an impactful website that is on brand. My guest today is the fabulous Andy Crestadina. Andy, welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Christine. Thank you. This is great. We try to make it a happy place over here. Very happy. I love it. (laughs) All right. So let's get right into it. When it comes to branding, a lot of people, especially like creators, which is such a thing right now. A lot of people feel like I'm doing so much branding and so much of my content creation and so much of what I do on social media. So that begs the question, are websites still necessary? I absolutely feel that they are for a variety of reasons, but I would love to hear your take on that. Why do people still need a website for their personal brand or their brand in general? Well, I try not to have too many biases, but uh, I, I think that it is possible to build a brand and have a very successful business. Creators are great examples where they just kind of live on a platform and uh, do very well uh, without an actual digital property of their own, without a, without a destination, without a platform um, that they can call home. Uh, but for the vast majority of us, right, unless you're um, seeking to become kind of a, you know, the like the hardcore influencer marketing strategy where you're going to build it up on one platform and just own it and live there. Um, a lot of businesses, I mean, um, for the, for the, the visitor or for the, the searcher who's brand aware and types in the name of your business, what do they see? Where do they land? What do search results pages look like for the company name? If you don't have your own platform, if you don't have a website, uh, you have no analytics, uh, you have no, you, you'll never grow your email list. Um, there's a, you know, you, you really uh, lose control to some extent of your, uh, you know, who owns your content. Um, so uh, the, for, I don't know, 99 plus percent of us, 
Uh, we still need a new website, and that website is in a really important destination. Uh, it's home base for all the brand building that we do. Um, and, and so I'm talking about like normal businesses, lead generation marketers, demand gen marketers, you know, everyone except, um, you know, those big personality uh, YouTubers. Uh, not, nothing against YouTube. I love it. I love that we're here. <laughs> it's a platform I love and use and market myself with. Um, but no, I still think most people do need a website. Absolutely. It ties it all together. It's it's a home base, as you said. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a couple different pathways I would love to go down. And I promise everyone we will talk about how to make sure your website is well-branded. But first, I want to go down some of those pathways you mentioned. You mentioned that without a website, you don't get that kind of search, that SEO uh, oomph. From mm-hmm. from although it's interesting because social media platforms are coming up increasingly high in search results. Sometimes even if you have a website, your business's Facebook page or your LinkedIn or mm-hmm. even your Google My Business profile. Certainly, if you've set that up, sure. those things. Although now it's called Google Business Tools. That's but right. You know, I know. You know, I saw that too. We all know what we're talking about, though. <laughs> um, those tend to come up even above a website. But it's still. But I'd still love to hear from you how a website does still factor in to that SEO. And then after that, just to warn you, we're going to dig into uh, that growing the email list part. But first, let's talk about SEO. So even if Mm -hmm. social media and other things come up above your website, Mm -hmm. why is a website still an important part of your digital footprint? Well, if I had a choice of uh, what would rank uh, for my business name, my LinkedIn business page or my company's website, uh, I would absolutely 100%, and I will say this until I will die on this hill, it is far, far better for uh, to get a click for the visitor to go to your website, which is a platform that you control, rather than a click where the visitor lands on LinkedIn. Uh, I have an eye tracking tool, and if I did an eye tracking study of people on LinkedIn, we would quickly see that they're looking at notifications, they see ads, they see alerts, they see you know other people suggested things. You don't control that experience. The owner of that website, LinkedIn, owned by Microsoft is 100% focused on monetizing that audience. And they are happy to sell an ad there, right? They're, they're, they're trying to keep that visitor engaged by getting them to stay in there, you know, jump back into the stream. Or they're selling distraction. Exactly. Your site, you're the owner of your site. You have the opportunity to kind of maximize the, um, you know, that intent of that visitor, uh, keep them engaged, uh, you know, build loyalty and trust and control their experience. It's a branded asset. LinkedIn is branded as LinkedIn. If you care about brand, why are you sending all your traffic to a different brand? LinkedIn is not your brand. Absolutely. And speaking of branded asset, hopefully your website is not like Wix.com slash your business name. (laughs) I'm going to change tracks a little bit. I would love for you to tell us about how to make sure that that experience you're leading them towards is distraction-free and branded and built to maximize you, not LinkedIn's advertisers. Sure. Yeah. So think about the visitor. Think about their experience. Uh, Someone searches for you, searches for your company name, searches for the category that your company is in, even better, brand new discovery, being discovered by people who don't know your brand yet. They click, they page loads, they land. What happens next? Web design is about creating a visual hierarchy that guides that visitor's attention and their eyes uh, through a series of messages that align with their priorities, their needs. Every visitor has information needs. There's a true story in the life of every of every visitor to every web page. Visitor lands on social media site. Their their visual hierarchy is to guide them toward that little red dot that shows they've got some notifications. You know, it's trying to keep them in the platform. LinkedIn does better if you leave. Um, you know, 
the, a company page. Uh, Facebook does better if you leave a company page and click on an ad or something else. Uh, so the branded experience on the website really should align with the needs of that visitor. Step one, what category are you in? Are they in the right place? Tell them what your brand is doing, right? Indicate the relevance for search and be descriptive in your labels, navigation labels, headers, and tell them first, like what, what you do, right? <laughs> Why are they here? Uh, after that, we can get, we can start to get more emotional, a little more clever, um, do some fun stuff, be unexpected. Uh, but I, I strongly recommend that every brand will is benefited by sort of descriptive labels at the top. Uh, clarity comes before clever. Um, I know that we've all got fun, fun brand messages, but um, let's prioritize, uh, you know, answering the visitor's first question. Am I in the right place? That is a really good point because so many brands, especially smaller brands and personal brands that maybe started with some sort of template, they often start with sort of that beautiful picture at the mm -hmm. top and something witty. And I love your point, which is clarity first. Make sure they know they're in the right place before you give them all the specific warm fuzzies and cute, yeah. clever stuff. Um, so how can we how can we know what that message is, though? Because you said that it has to align to the visitor's needs. How do we really sure. know what the visitor's need is versus our own need? Well, we should definitely be... Uh understanding of our audience, right? We should have done the research and been upfront about doing what this person really cares about. Uh, the foundation of a brand is the is its position in the context of the competitive set for that person. So ideally, you know, we're, um, we're prioritizing that and just, just describing the category that we're in, of course. You know, good good headline for a homepage for me. says so something like web design and development, you know, 20 years of web design and development. Um, I would never use a tagline there, right? If the homepage headline is a tagline, you might fail what we call the backyard barbecue test. Uh, try this. Um, if, I, if I asked you what you do for a living and you, your answer was simply reading to me the headline on your homepage, would I know what you do for a living? Or did you cause instant brand confusion? Uh, if you, a clever headline, a tagline is a header on the homepage, is, um, really risks uh, being confusing to the visitor and, and kind of being like, really all about you instead of being about them first. So I think it's an important thing, you know, right? To just make sure that your homepage header passes the backyard barbecue test. Just read it out loud. You'll know right away. That is such a key test. And it's one that I know I myself fail. So I need to go that. This is one of those conversations where I know that I'm going to go back and redo everything. This happens <laughs> sometimes also when I talk to like LinkedIn experts. Mm. I'm like, oh, I got to go change all of this. So see, everybody's learning here, especially I know that me. Feeling. Yep. Yep. I feel <laughs> so, the same sometimes. So backyard barbecue test, what do you do? At what point do you make it clear though who you do it for? Is that mm. is that often part of in the same message? Is that a secondary part of the messaging? Where does that fit in the hierarchy? I mean, it could be right there in the same message. The header is an opportunity sometimes to just name your target audience. You know, we, we do um you know, leadership coaching for mid-level managers. 100% of people who land on that are going to know if it's for them or not. And by the way, Christine, what I love there is that about the question is sort of um, the other side of it is to help people who aren't in the right place get the heck out of your funnel. You don't want <laughs> an unqualified lead. So we're not trying to be everything to everybody. You know, that's what branding is. It's about, you know, making a decision and choosing you know, what is our, what is our audience? What's our segment? What's our position? What wins the sales conversation and who isn't part of that conversation? Who do we not, who are we not talking to? 
So when you declare the audience and make it explicit and specific and right there in black and white text, then the person who it's not a fit for uh, will immediately know that and, um, uh, you know, leave the website, which is great, right? We don't, um, that's not our audience. Absolutely. Get out of here. We don't want those distractions. You're a distraction. (laughs) (laughs) To that end, though, the backyard barbecue test, the headline, you know, what do you do? A lot of other people do that, too. No matter Mm -hmm. what it is that you do, there are absolutely other people in businesses who do that, too. So how do we put our brand in there in a way that is... And how, what are some ways to put our brand in there in ways that are immediately unique and apparent, but at the same time, don't distract from the point? Oh, so one of the strongest ways to differentiate a brand is to use evidence to then support the assertion you just made in the headline. So it's just to show like, you know, I mentioned like years in business or number of happy customers. You can use data, things like this, like um, testimonials differentiate your brand. You can let the audience themselves be the mem- be the messenger like just using quotes from people that you worked with before. But I think there's also opportunities to be really distinctive in the, in the brand message uh, just through navigation and the main structure of the site. I saw a site, you may know him, Douglas Burdett, who does the Marketing Book Podcast. His site is like, our, um, I think it's salesartillery.com. His, like, uh, he's got a big page at the top of his site that says, you know, marketing agency addiction. And you click on that page and you read down, he's like, are you addicted to your marketing agency? And it's just disarming. It's like so unusual. It's a very distinctive brand voice that comes straight forward, right, right to the point. Um, it's, a, it's like a, I mean, you feel like you're talking to him at, while, while you read it, but it's a great example of how uh, just good copywriting can be so empathetic and be very distinctive, uh, very differentiated. So I think that uh, this is part of the art and science of it all. But, but uh, really, you know, we're trying to not just be bland. Just look at your page. Look at any page and ask yourself, could anybody that was just started yesterday write this same page? Could a startup born yesterday write every word that you wrote? If so, you didn't differentiate, add evidence, or, or um, add that strong point of view. And one great thing about that example also is that it shows that you can have a strong brand voice and you can be creative without sacrificing clarity. In fact, yeah. clarity can almost be the most creative part of all. It's a creative challenge, right? In a sense. It is. Yeah, that's I mean, we all got into this business because we wanted to make stuff and do cool things and point at something and, you know, show that we did it. Um, and so that's part of the challenge. I mean, if you uh, some sites fail because they're just too dry mm-hmm. and they sound like an SEO wrote it and it's just all keywords and boring yeah. text, <laughs> undifferentiated for that reason. Other sites sort of fail because they're overly branded. Everything's a tagline. It's all super clever. It doesn't too cute and actually tell like what can they help me? You know, it's it's sort of. um uh, at some point, you know, we just have to say we do X and we do it for Y and just be specific. Absolutely. And and to that point about not wanting to, it to seem too dry and like it's just written for SEO purposes, you mentioned including data. What mm. are some ways that we can do that without just hitting people in the face on our website? Like, here's a chart. Here's a white paper. Here's some like what are some ways of making data you know, part of the experience that doesn't make people run. And, and that sort of has a brand feel to it. Because if anything, data data is so empirical. You know? It is. Yeah, it, it, it could be dry. It doesn't, data doesn't usually come across as dry if it's handled as a visual. Um, but just uh, like for an example, let's say you and I launched a company that helps with podcasts and YouTube promotion. Um, 
you know, we could uh, say that we do, you know, podcast production and video video promotion. Uh, but then why do people believe us? You know, if we just say that we do that, we're just making a claim, an unsupported claim. The goal in, in, in digital is partly to just avoid making unsupported marketing claims. The platforms actually know this. If you scroll down a LinkedIn profile, you're going to get to a section called endorsements and a section called recommendations. What is that? It's a social proof. So you can add social proof. Social proof tends to be engaging. It's qualitative. Data is just quantitative evidence. So Christine, you and I could say, you know, we've done 65 podcasts. You know, we've we've done um, you know, we've we've built audiences with over a million YouTube views total. You know, we could just kind of, um, you know, we've worked together on these things or we you know, we have a combined 35 years of experience or something like this. Those are just simple little data points. Um, it doesn't it's not like a white paper. It's like just a subhead. <laughs> it's conversational. It's conversational data. It's the stuff you would say in a conversation. Yeah, exactly. It is convert. Thank you for that excellent point. And <laughs> and, and um, uh, it it emphasizes something that I try to remind people of. A great page emulates a sales conversation. Mm. So whatever the data is, it needs to support the points you're making and be relevant to that audience. It's not just there for us. Really, nothing on this page is there for us. Some brand folks kind of um, focus on themselves a bit too much, and the sound yeah. the copy sounds like we love us, not <laughs> what your visitor cares about. But, uh, but yeah, it should emulate a conversation. In other words, answer the visitor's top questions, address their objections, and support those assertions with evidence. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Now, this one is going to be a little bit loaded. We have all seen those websites that are just stuffed to the gills. They're impossible to navigate. There are submenus upon submenus. And what a website does or doesn't need varies wildly depending on what they're trying to do, what kind of content they have up there, and who they're trying to serve. Mm -hmm. But in your estimation, as someone who has seen and touched a lot of websites, what do you feel are some must-haves, and what do you feel is, like, pet peeve nonsense that you wish people would just stop doing on their websites? Boy, there's uh, there's a lot of problems with with websites generally. We, we already talked about a few. A lot of websites fail to provide any supportive evidence. A lot of websites fail to be descriptive. It's hard to tell. They kind of fail that five-second test or backyard barbecue test. There's other sites, like you mentioned, that are just where the marketers clearly did not make a decision. Instead, they try to say yes to everything, and their navigation has literally 80 items or you know more. Um, what we need to remember is that if your website were a town, there'd be a highway flowing through it. Look at the navigation summary, which is a report in Google Analytics, and, and you'll see what the top path is. Where do people go from where? Now you can use that data to make better decisions and remove visual noise. 
sharpen your focus on the most important sections for your visitor, uh, potentially rename some of your navigation labels. This slide shows another example of marketers failing to make a tough decision. Slideshows have been uh, kind of, um, there's strong evidence showing the, the uh, lack of effectiveness of slideshows. They're basically hiding subsequent slides from your visitor until they wait or click. Not a great idea. Why do you want your, you know, if it's important enough to be on your website, why make your visitor wait or click to see it? So I'd remove slideshows. Instead, I would kind of stack those messages. Um, also, calls to action. A lot of sites just completely miss this. Contact us is not a call to action. <laughs> you need to have contact. Good, good CTAs are specific and descriptive. Schedule a call with a, pro, a podcast production pro. That's a reason to click, right? Um, you know, take, uh, ask us your toughest question or, or, you know, that sounds really easy to do. I'm not, I'm not, it's low commitment. So these are, these are like immediate opportunities. Anybody can, can, um, you know, just within an hour, right? We could use analytics, remove all the pages that no one's clicking on, which, you know, drive attention to the more important things. We could add clarity in our headers. Uh, we could, we could just remove the slideshow and just focus on one key message at the top. We could add calls to action that are that sound either valuable or easy. Contact us doesn't sound either valuable or easy. Um, and, and so these are everything I'm suggesting is really no cost, maybe half a day's work uh, and can have a big impact on, um, you know, conversion rates and lead gen, but also just the perception of your brand. Be helpful. Don't be confusing. That's part of the brand experience. And it can also change to your point. I mean, the way people expect to navigate a website may shift over time, different website design conventions. So it's not set in stone. You can Mm -hmm. always follow the data. I love your point about following the data, seeing what people are actually doing and being responsive to that. Um, I had a question about your opinion on something. Some websites, and especially a lot of those build-your-own-website things, a lot of them have the ability to embed some of your social media into the website. Do you think that that's generally a good practice, a bad practice, and why? Well, the widgets that allow you to embed social media are um, are magical in a way because you just have to keep social media updated, and that that element on your site is always updated. So, like an Instagram feed on like a team or culture page, very cool. The problem is those widgets always allow the visitor to click and go to the platform. So we have to ask ourselves, do we, you know, look at anything on your site, right? Look at the, the, the social icons in the footer, everything in the header. Do you really want someone to click on that? If they click on that, what do they see? So go ahead and click on those things. If you, if you embed a widget, don't forget to click on it to jump over to YouTube or wherever and just look at that experience. Is that something that you want your visitor to do? Or did you put it in an exit sign that really sends them away to a place from which they'll never come back? So uh, we should choose our widgets carefully. It makes a lot of sense, especially for brands that are super active on that platform, get good engagement there, where a follow over there is like a, a very positive thing. And we've tracked that back to alignment with a business objective. Great. Um, but otherwise, uh, you know, even for, it, it's sort of like, a, like an example might be a video player. I love the YouTube video player and I use it for every content marketing video I make. But I would never use the YouTube player for a video testimonial because that visitor is high consideration. They're looking at a testimonial. They're really thinking of using us. So, uh, so for bottom of funnel content, bottom of funnel pages, sales pages, I would never embed a social media widget or use a, a YouTube player. Um, but in, in the context of content marketing or on a team page or culture where the visitor has lower intent or they're just interested in getting to know us, sure, it could make perfect sense. 
Speaking of bottom of funnel, um, how do you feel about having gated parts of a website? Do you feel like that should be kind of a hidden, totally separate thing? Do you feel, how do you, how do you feel is the best way to handle that sort of thing? We did a survey once of a bunch of B2B marketers and a bunch of uh, B2B uh, website visitors, B2B buyers, potential buyers, and we asked about gated content and you know, is gated, you know, do you strongly disagree or agree, you know, how bad are gates? The marketers are pretty freaked out about gates, very nervous. <laughs> they feel squeamish about it and sort of feel bad about gating anything. But the but the other audience in the survey, the, the, the website visitors, reported they didn't have a problem with gates at all if the content was valuable. Gates can work. It has to be, you're living up to a big promise you make when, you, when you're making that exchange, an email address for a piece of content. Um, I'm not using any gates. I'm hitting all my goals without them. I've never gated anything for the record, but it doesn't mean that I don't believe in gates or think they can't work. Most studies show that they do work at growing an email list. And an email list is magical because it allows you to you know, market to people without a big platform in the middle. Except for email, every other traffic source has big tech between you and your visitor. You do not have total control uh, in any platform, right? You don't own your Facebook followers or your Google rankings, but you do own your email list. So I want, I like any idea that helps people grow their list. I have no problem with gated content if it's working. You know it's working or not based on the um, engagement from it. Um, there's an there's a SEO case to be made for making everything ungated. You're probably going to attract more links, which is a factor in SEO. But um, uh, Christina, I have to say, like, let's be open to anything that works. Why not? And that brings us so beautifully to the next thing I wanted to ask about, which is you mentioned at the top of the episode that web, one of the great things about websites, about that owned branded property, is that will help you build your email list. So we'll talk about why it matters to build your email list. And I think you just kind of did, which is that it's the most direct content you have mm -hmm. with your audience. But how can you use your website to build your email list? Why is that necessarily a more effective email list builder than social media? Uh, boy, you might know more about growing a list on social media than I do. Uh, is there, I mean, where do we grow our email list in social? Like I have, I mean, you um, can always just tweet out or, or, you know, do posts that have the link to sign up for your email, but, hmm. uh, what are some ways for your website to do work? Sure, right? Cause sure. I mean, the answer on social media is generally, well, post it, post it yep. with the call to action, but what are some good ways to get people, uh, who are visiting your website to sign up for your email list? A good email signup form has the three P's, prominence, promise, and proof. Prominence means that the email signup form is pretty obvious. It could be a pop-up. It might be a gated thing. It might be large at the top of the blog. It might be a, you know, a sticky footer that's on the bottom of every post. It might be in the footer on every single page on the website. It's visually obvious, prominence. Promise is when you're being specific about what they're going to get. Why should I sign up for this email? If, if yours just says newsletter sign up submit, you didn't work hard enough on that. You didn't differentiate it. You didn't. You weren't specific and descriptive enough. Uh, why would someone do that? That'd be weird. So be specific about the topic, right? Get get digital marketing tips every two weeks, or sign up for uh, you know a practical advice about content analytics and web design. Like these are calls to action that tell someone why they should do something. So that's an easy thing, right? For sure, make the promise stronger and be specific what they get. And finally, proof. Uh, prominence promise proof. The proof would be something that like indicates that other people have done it. Could be a tiny testimonial right next to the signup. It could also be the size of the list. You now we have X, join the X number of people who get biweekly web marketing tips directly delivered to their inbox. That sounds like a reason to do it. It's 
mind-blowing to me just how many people are still signing up for emails. Our email form cranks. It's like between 10 and 20 people per day signing up. I don't know if I could do that on a on another platform. Uh, maybe with your help, Christina, maybe I could. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to check this. I'm going to have to check out your uh, email sign-up form. <laughs> yep. Now, this next question, this last question, I think, it could get very technical. We could get into the weeds with this. I want to keep it pretty top line. I want to keep it like for a beginner. But part of the beauty of a website is that you have that data about traffic. You have the ability to have direct conversations and branded conversations with your um, visitors. And of course, we have the ability to connect things. We have, you know, Facebook Pixel, we have Google mm-hmm. Analytics, we have all of that. What in your estimation for someone just getting started on digging into this, what are some good, effective first steps that they can take to make the website work a little bit harder for your business as a tool that really allows you to own that data? Mm. Well, Google Analytics uh, is fundamentally just measuring the behavior of visitors on a website. So without Google Analytics, it's very hard to make good and smart informed iterations to improve something. As we mentioned, like, you know, is your navigation working? Is it broken? What's the click-through rate on your calls to action? You should know that. <laughs> Everyone should know the click-through rates in the call to action. If you find out that it's like, you know, 4% and you rewrite it and it goes up to 6%, you just generated 50% more demand or at least traffic to your contact form with no cost. I mean, that was you just made a better CTA. So that's only possible to know um, whether your idea was good or whether the the action you took worked um, is is Google Analytics or similar. Facebook pixels, all of that. Yes, yes, yes. These days, it should all be managed inside something called Google Tag Manager. Google Tag Manager is a container of JavaScript that sits on your website and it holds all of the tracking codes, the Facebook pixel and Google Tag Manager and anything else. It's takes a minute to get used to it but once you're in it and, and, it and it's in place it's brilliant because it makes it much easier to add new tools to track things differently to set things up you no longer need a programmer to add new tracking pixels to a website uh, you can just put them in the google tag manager container and the tag and the containers on every single page it's called gtm google tag manager it's a tool for managing all the marketing tags on any website that's just a quick kind of definition and intro uh, but it's best practices and we should all have it. Uh, it's just good governance to keep all your marketing tracking codes in one place. Now, I warned you before we went live that I always come up with a question at the end that I'm like, oh, why didn't I do this earlier? I promise this one is my actual final final. Okay. <laughs> How do you drive traffic to your website? Because if you're someone like me who spends all their time on social, you know, you're already where the people are having those active conversations. How do you get people over to your website? Oh, it is. You just asked like the million dollar, literally a million dollar question. (laughs) Of course, at minute 29 of a 30 minute show. That's how I roll. (laughs) Okay. Two fundamental ways, advertising or content marketing. That's how website visitors happen. I'm not an advertiser, so I'll skip all of that, but there's a hundred different types. You know, there's paid search, there's paid social, there's paid influencer marketing, all those things. But on the on the organic side, the content marketing side, the three classic sources are search and social and email. Uh, whatever you're doing and wherever you're doing it, uh, search is very different and special because you can just make pages that are very detailed and very relevant for a phrase. If that's a phrase within reach, in other words, you have sufficient authority, ask me later, 
uh, then that might, that page might attract visitors for years or decades. I could I could show you tons of examples of pages that I have that have gotten hundreds of thousands of visitors over ten plus years. Uh, email and social, as you know, these are activity based, and you got to keep working at them. You keep getting smarter within them. Uh, but it's uh, a lot of it comes down to again, why would someone click on something? What's the call to action? What's the benefit? What's the emotional trigger for them? Why would I click on your social post? It, ha- it ultimately the reason is again empathy. That click helps me somehow. It solves a problem in my life. It brings me to a page that's got some information that I need. Right? That's really what we're doing all day long, every day, and driving traffic is creating content and calls to action to bring someone to that content, whether it's in an email, social stream, wherever, and that an ad, uh, and that aligns with that zero moment of truth, that true story in that life of that visitor. That's ultimately why why people click and tap is because they've done a split second cost benefit calculation and concluded that the benefit of clicking is greater than the cost of clicking. So uh, be very specific in your calls to action, uh, create content that's worthy of being visited um, and just keep doing it and keep getting more data. You'll keep getting better at it. And eventually our site, more than a million visitors a year, zero dollars spent on advertising. It works. Wow. Oh my goodness. What a place to end it. Well, thank you so much, Andy. I'm going to go rip my website apart now. Uh, The time between the recording of this episode and the airing of this episode, it's going to get a total revamp. And then I'm going to listen to this episode and it's all going to look like a mess to me again. But that's progress, right? Constant build, constant evolution, just like a brand. (laughs) Digital ink is never dry. You can keep changing it forever. It's not expensive or time consuming to make little improvements to your website. Uh, Absolutely. You know, it might make more sense. So instead of doing that next social post, go back to your site and maybe make an update there. It might um, uh, the benefits are more durable. That you'll that improvement to your site will be there for years. That's true. Ah, love it. Well, thank you so much, Andy. Tell everyone where they can and should find you and what they will find there. Uh, orbitmedia.com is our website, and I write an article there once every two weeks. Um, my best platforms are I have an active YouTube channel now, which I kind of launched during COVID, and it's got quite a few things on it. Also, just LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn. There's like a, fo- a blue follow button. You can skip that and go down to the connect button if you'd like to uh, interact a bit more. Um, and uh, just glad to be part of this. This was awesome. I think it's it's so fun. Uh, oh, I should mention, I wrote a book that just came out. <laughs> I'm terrible at promoting it. It's called <laughs> Content Chemistry, version six. The sixth edition is available now. And it's like uh, 80 pages longer than the previous version. It's everything I know about digital marketing between two covers. Ooh, love that. And those 80 pages are the best pages, obviously. (laughs) Skip right to those. Toss the rest. No, just kidding. You're a pro at this, Christy. This was so great. (laughs) Thank you. It was so great to have you on. I was so excited uh, to get you on this show because every time I've seen you speak, I've just learned so much. So, (laughs) And again, I'm very excited that uh, today's tips were so actionable. So I know exactly what I'm going to do when I go uh, rip apart my website now. (laughs) We got to talk about brand. I just talked about brand with Christine. This was great. Right? Oh, so excited. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. And thank you so much for being here. Again, whether you are listening to this on the Adweek Podcast Network, whether you're watching this on YouTube, very, very happy to have you here. Make sure to tune in next week when I'll be talking to another smart expert about another element of branding, especially personal branding. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Brand, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. 
This podcast was produced by Christine Gritman, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Christine Gritman. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.